Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast. I'm your host, DJ Chuang. And on this episode, you'll hear a lively conversation I have with Regina Child Trammell. She is the co author of a book titled A Counselor's Guide to Christian Mindfulness Engaging the Mind, Body, and Soul in Biblical Practices and Therapies. We get right into the conversation. So here it is. When I first heard of mindfulness a few years ago, it seemed to be a Buddhist concept, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it really is a Christian concept. So mm-hmm. help, help us to understand how it's actually just a good way of being present. Yeah. And, and it may be attached to a religion or not. That's not sure. what it's really about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that opening. Yes, I agree. So it does come from Buddhism. We know that because at least in America here, we've heard about mindfulness through things like tech companies, right? Google (laughs) or all these people start doing mindfulness. And that's because of this guy named Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. And Mm -hmm. he's a Massachusetts-based researcher at Massachusetts General who started looking at mindfulness from the Buddhist perspective and then operationalizing it as a secular kind of practice. But I think as Christians, we also know mindfulness because we do have a heritage. Um, Some of your listeners maybe don't know all the roots of Christian history, and I won't expound on it too much, but, you know, our Protestant tradition actually comes from Catholicism. Catholicism Mm -hmm. goes way back and it actually split with the Orthodox church and tradition. Mm -hmm. And in both those traditions, if you look way back in the day, um, some people point to like Teresa de Avila or the mm-hmm. Desert Fathers. There's this um, uh, cloud of unknowing that I like to put point back to, or the Philokalia, which is a Greek Orthodox practice of the Jesus prayer. I think there's so much um, of mindfulness in the way that we have um thought about in church history and Christian history that maybe we're very disconnected from because we've become a very cerebral um, faith, right? Like Mm -hmm. the word of God, we study it with our mind, but what does it mean to study it with our body, mind, and soul? And I think that's where I think mindfulness reminds us we're not just cognitive beings. There's something about our mind, our body, and our soul. So mindfulness really does have Christian roots. You know, in the Bible, it does talk about who is God, that he's mm-hmm. mindful of us. Oh, okay. You know, okay. and so I think it's it's about noticing, you know, and it's about noticing God's presence. It's about observing mm-hmm. where you're at emotionally in your mm-hmm. body. So if you kind of took a pause now, DJ, and you took a deep breath, if you could yeah. inhale and just... Focus on your breath for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Notice where your mind's going. You know, what are the thoughts that might be challenging? Or where is God in this moment? We can ask ourselves these questions mm-hmm. and to notice and observe where our thoughts are, where our emotions are, where's our body right now. Mm-hmm. And just note that for a second. And I think for us as Asian Americans, we are very disconnected from our body as well. And that we tend to be, we ignore maybe. So your podcast is named Erasing Shame. Yes. And a lot of the reason why we ignore is because maybe we grew up, you know, we grew up in a shame culture, shame-based culture. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I don't agree with some folks, I'll be honest, with like Dr. Brene Brown, who's very famous in the social work field and a lot of self-help mm-hmm. kind of psychology field about shame being the worst mm-hmm. thing. I think there's role for shame, mm-hmm. but shame can be so destructive because mm-hmm. it teaches us to ignore, to not be mindful okay. of, yes. of our emotions or accountability or bad behavior or even the reverse, maybe putting too much meaning on minuscule things. So I think mindfulness is a skill. So is to kind of be aware of the present moment without judgment. And I would say the Christian version of that is to be aware of God's presence so that we can abide by him. And so we can't do that if we're mindless. We can't do that if we're filled with shame. Yes. There's so much to talk about just here. And I know we have a couple other things I want to talk about with you. Uh, at least in our first uh, conversation here, the the thing I did learn about mindfulness was being at a Catholic conference Mm. where prayer was reading some prepared text instead of just praying extemporaneously, like we just make it up as we things come to our mind. And they took the time to breathe. Yeah. And to sense the presence of God and get centered. Yeah. So I think what you're alluding to is we didn't call it mindfulness, especially post-reformation, where we just became so word-centric and cognitive. But the presence of God is very much in the vocabulary of how we uh, want to uh, get centered, be present, yes. and be aware of our uh, context That's right. in the moment. That's right. So it becomes this informal, maybe dialogue that you can be having with God. You know, God says he's omnipresent. Mm-hmm. I don't, that doesn't mean just in our minds either. What is it like if God is the Holy Spirit, you know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean for us to always be present with the Holy Spirit, even in our bodies, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's so much there. I talk about this in a lot of podcasts, but I'll just say it really quickly. One of my favorite practices is to drink tea. I just kind of came to it, but just, Uh you know, I'm really in my tea drinking, you know, I came to this because I like tea, number one, and, you know, Chinese culture, we drink a lot of tea. And so how did tea become kind of this mindful practice for me? Well, you know, I use it to kind of ground myself, like you said, of like, I smell Mm. the tea and I'm like, oh. Christ's aroma, right? The Bible talks about the aroma of Christ. How can I embody that aroma, right? Being a sinful, limited human being. And I ingest his grace when I drink the tea. I'm just not as a communion sort of thing, but just like a reminder, like, oh God, you are gracious. You offer this grace to me. Let me, as I drink the aroma of Christ and I actually physically embody it, and I feel the warmth in my belly, you know, I feel it go down mm-hmm. and I'm just noticing that. And how does that, you know, feel that feels mm-hmm. very calming. It's such a mm-hmm. warm drink. So if you're feeling anxious or, you know, when you're in the middle of kind of a manic episode, mm-hmm. these kind of grounding practices can just, it's a rhythm, right? Of like, yes. how do I embody the fact that maybe in my mind, I can't be present and mm-hmm. access that God's there, but I can drink something or I can, you know, stretch out part of my body. I can lift my hands up, you know, in worship. Mm. I can 
do a number of things so that what I love about mindfulness practice, it doesn't just have to go into the cognitive, but it could be if the cognitive isn't working that day, which is for off, you know, many of us, it's not going to work for us some days, then I can access mindfulness through my body. And if not either of those, then the soul, what does soul work look like in that sense? Mm. And how do I just be aware of the Holy Spirit and listening? So there's so many practices. Yes. Um, And yeah, thank you for sharing some of those practices on your website. So reginatroutrammel.com. Yep. We'll add a link in the show notes at erasingshame.com. A little easier to spell. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And a link to your book also, Christian Mindfulness. And you have a very popular talk on uh, YouTube that you gave at a TEDx coming up on 150,000 views. So yeah. you're on your way to um, perhaps becoming curated yeah. uh, as, a, as a featured talk. Yeah. Now, you you also note that in your book, you wrote it especially for Christian counselors. Yeah. So initially, that kind of caused me to hesitate getting it because I didn't want to get tied up into all the technical jargon. Sure. So do you have a recommendation for how a normal non-therapist person can learn uh, more about Christian mindfulness? Well, I wrote it for anyone actually. So those practices, they're scripts, they're things that any lay reader can use it. I just think honestly, it was more about the fact that mindfulness right now, or at the time I wrote it, was really, especially in mental health, being, you know, counselors were being trained in it, but they weren't being trained oh, in a Christian version of it. Got it. Okay. So, but it should be like, if you got the audible, for instance, of the mm-hmm. book, you mm-hmm. could, you know, you don't have to be a counselor to learn that. And I, and I specify that in the book. This is for, right. yeah, it's for, Super. and their own self-care too. Like, so for, okay. if you're a counselor or non-counselor. So, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, I, I, there's not, honestly, I'm not trying to just promote my book. I don't know anyone else who's written out kind of a lay person's version of a Christian mindfulness practice. Um, there's a guy named Rich Johnston out of the UK who uh-huh. kind of leads these monthly Zoom calls, but it's all UK time. So that's not yes. always accessible to us. Yes. But yeah, there's a well, group of folks there who who do good. this kind of work. Okay, well, I'm I'm all about making things accessible, so no paywalls and things like that. But yeah. the, um, I'm I'm glad it's accessible to everyday people, and great to hear about the audible version, audio version of books. Um, now that you mention, it, it's like, oh yeah, the audio version is really opening up a, another creative outlet for the content of books to be expressed with exercises and with the tone of voice of the author. So I just listened to Beth Moore's memoir. Oh, nice. And to hear hear her read it, I think came through so much more than just reading the text. Yeah, yeah. I will caution. I didn't read it, my book at least. I picked a really good soothing voice um, narrator. But but yeah, I agree that that kind of personalization of hearing... The authors well, read well I, I like your voice <laughs> <laughs> thanks and then i had a friend uh recommend to me get the audio version of u2's book or bono's, bono's book, book about u2 and surrender that'd be cool because he adds so much of the sonic experience and so yeah so audio cool. audio is nice yeah it is nice great I have to look that up and we we started this podcast 125 plus episodes ago wow. uh, on a hunch that 
you know, Brene Brown, you mentioned, he, she talks about how shame festers in silence mm-hmm. and, you know, right from Genesis 3, it causes us to hide mm-hmm. and feel this visceral, terrible pain that something's wrong with us. And mm-hmm. we, um, uh, we started erasing shame to have honest, healthy conversation and come out of hiding and create a space where people could share their stories. Yeah. And we've had uh, a handful of guests come through where just sharing their story became empowering. Mm, it was the yeah. first time they shared it. Wow. And then as we went on through season one, we kind of had an aha moments like shame is such a big topic. Mm. We'll never run out of content. True. Because it hasn't been talked about throughout human history. Mm. But you can imagine all the trauma and things that we haven't dealt with. And so sure. all this unprocessed emotion. And we have our own experience of shame because of our own little foibles. And then our family context and our cultural context. And so there's so much of that. And at the same time, as I listen to Asian voices talk about there's some value to shame and there is yeah. um, to counter Brene's Brown perspective that shame is a hundred percent bad. Right. At the same time, it's not that we want more shame. No. <laughs> but shame serves a function in terms of giving us guidelines, in terms of uh helping us navigate relationships, helping yeah. us to know when that red warning light is on. Yeah. And we need to pay attention or it's going to get worse. And so there's yeah. a lot to that topic. Absolutely. So how does mindfulness help us with that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think mindfulness helps us discern. Mm. I think it's discernment process because there's, I just think about all the content that's out there and all these messages that we're getting mm-hmm. right on social media or like young people with TikTok and people are telling you what to think and what to feel. Or if you feel this way, then you're this. Or if you think this way, then you're this. And mm-hmm. I think mindfulness helps you kind of discern and just kind of think on your own if that's helpful. Like, so is this shame a good or bad thing? Do you have shame because you were acting like a jerk or an a hole to someone? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's appropriate shame you need to go apologize but you're not going to know that if you're in a if you're detached from your emotions right Mm -hmm. if you're turned off and numb to things Mm -hmm. um but maybe shame is really unhealthy because you start feeling like which happens a lot in our culture of perfectionism well i didn't Mm -hmm. get this detail right or oh my gosh i didn't email my back email back my boss within a few minutes or, oh my gosh, that paper, I should have changed the headings or, you know, we get too caught up in these details that we lose the forest for the trees, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I think mindfulness helps you then, and that part of the continuum, understand your value and your worth and to be able to kind of connect and be present with God who can kind of remind you to slow down, to find your value and worth. I'm thinking about like Enneagram three, right? Achievers, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just being able to see your worth and as, as a child of God. Yes. So mindfulness connects us back with mm. our identity, I think in that sense. So I think mindfulness can help us. Okay. What is appropriate shame? What am I feeling in my body? What's happening? It helps you get to a deeper thought. I was like that verse that says deep calls to deep. And sometimes yes. we just don't take 
the time to go deeper. And I think mindfulness is a vehicle for us to ask those tough questions, for us to be able to ponder, to contemplate, right? It's a contemplative practice mm-hmm. of, okay, here are my thoughts, God. How do I, how do you look at them? And are these thoughts appropriate or not? Does mm-hmm. it allowing God to kind of like in Psalm, what is he saying near Psalm 139, like to sift us, right? To see yes. into our hearts, to tell us what's, what's good, what's right, what's wrong. Nice. Yeah. Hearing hearing you hearing you talk reminds me of my conversation with Jen Shren Chen mm. um, two months ago. She was our co-host here at Erasing Shame, and she's a spiritual director. Yeah. And so she really weaves in some of the probing questions with the mindfulness practice of being present and being attuned yeah. and really um, taking the time to discern what's going on in someone's life or in a moment. So I think they're all uh, interconnected and they play well together. Yes. And for those of us that are new to these concepts, it'd be hard to figure out in the dark because we haven't practiced it. That's right. And secondly, we all have blind spots. So it's really helpful to have a companion or a therapist or a spiritual director. That's right. Really help us to uh, process together. Right. Yeah. A lot of my work as a therapist is to be like, Hey, let's pause that thought. Let's take a look at that. Why is that thought coming up? What do you think that's connected to? Mm -hmm. Whose voice is that? Is that your voice? Is that a parent or is that a hurtful Mm -hmm. wounded place? You know, and, and again, if that's that mindful process and I'm sure, right. Mm -hmm. Spiritual directors and, and mindfulness based counselors really play well in the sandbox, like you said. And I think it's that same question, right. Of like, okay, noticing, let's notice where that wound comes from. Yes. And then and then we could get to the healing, right? Because we can't get to the healing yeah. without identifying the wound. And I think yeah. mindfulness helps us yes. understand, gives us space and I think capacity to be able to handle that kind of question. Sometimes yes. we don't want to look at things and that's that shame yeah. piece that you're talking about. We don't want to look yeah. at it. Having, hurtful. And having a companion helps us carry that weight agree yeah yeah because it, yeah. it, it's crushing by myself to see that's right yeah i'm a big fan of group therapy mm. for that reason for your listeners to be like mm-hmm. if you've ever done individual try group mm-hmm. i mean there's something i used to work with um sexual abuse survivors mm-hmm. still do on occasion um who've mm-hmm. had um severe trauma and there's something about being a group with other yes. women and this is, I mainly just had groups for women, but sure. see, oh my gosh, look at, I'm not the only one. I'm not, you know, yeah. in different age groups, different ethnicities and yeah. being able to see, you know, really, it really helps folks hone in on the fact that, oh my gosh, I'm really not alone. It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. That happened to me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we have a few minutes left and I know you're not only a licensed clinical social worker. Yeah. Which you which you mentioned is a very dynamic um, degree compared to a number of other alphabet soup degrees that yeah. people have in psychology and psychiatry, but you're also a professor at Azusa Pacific University. That's right. Go Cougs. Cougs. Cougars. Cougars. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're we're speaking at a time when Christian universities are closing all around yeah. the country, and. Um, 
administrators are having to ask the hard question of how to navigate uh, a bunch of issues, including one of allowing non-Christian students to join the student body. Yeah. And then in our cultural climate, there's a lot of talk about LGBTQ and sexual sexuality and identity. Right. Um, yeah. It's so how tiny. do you how are you able to keep your sanity and the and peace in the midst of all of that? Yeah. That's God's work, right? Like I just feel like if it it's God's work. I love working at APU. I think about we get a faculty contract, you know, and I always pray and I just always feel like God is saying, Regina, keep going, you know, and I, I think. So I teach a human sexuality and sex therapy class mm -hmm. as part of the master's of social work program. And it's a, one of my favorite classes. And um, APU is different than say a Biola. We are an open enrollment university. Mm -hmm. So we do allow, you know, students who don't identify as Christians. And I love that. It's very missional for me. Mm. I do rely on my Christian students in class um a lot because mm. that way we kind of partner together on like okay so i was telling yeah. you earlier the way i opened that class for human sexual and sex therapy is we read the song of solomon verse by verse out loud almost mm. like a lectio divina kind okay. of practice we do verse mm -hmm. by everyone takes a verse and i make them go around so they don't even know me i do a little mm -hmm. bit of introduction they don't even know each other but we're yeah. gonna read song of solomon verse by verse and i don't i'm not a theologian okay i don't <laughs> But there's sex in that. <laughs> there's sex in that chapter. And so I have them talk about that. Mm. And so, you know, in that mm. sense, I think, I know I'm not directly answering your question, but that's the beauty of a Christian university. The fact that we can come at a topic and you're going to get the full weight of the issues of our world. We're not mm -hmm. going to shy away from them but you're also going to interact with scripture or you're going to interact with a Christian or other Christians in the classroom, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a beauty. I love the fact that two years before the pandemic, I did a presentation at the North American Association of Christian Social Work mm -hmm. with an atheist student and a Christian student. We talked about the role of an atheist student in the Christian classroom and she's amazing. She went to UC Davis and she decided to come to APU because she said that she grew up in such a, like a environment that was hostile to Christianity. She wanted to check for herself mm -hmm. and she loved our program mm. and she loved it so much. She was like, yeah, sign me up. Let's do this thing and help other people understand the value of an atheistic perspective in the Christian university classroom. Was, what I'm beginning to hear is how APU's created a safe place, a civil space, a civil space for all these different perspectives to come together space. because that's actually the real world. Yeah. The real world is we are going to live in a pluralistic world with Muslims and Jews and atheists and agnostics and people who don't agree that Jesus uh, was the son of God and fully man, fully God and rose from the dead and we want them to respect our faith, but we are also, I would think, called to right. live peace, peaceably with everyone and anyone and not be attacking them so that they don't attack us also. And even going further to protect those that have different religious convictions than us. Yeah. 
the things that we point out is usually a projection of our own insecurities. And when we're secure in our faith and we know who God is in our lives, there is no shame to be able to talk about these issues in a civil way. If you can't have a civil conversation Mm -hmm. about these issues, I just wonder what work you need to do so -hmm. that you don't have to cover up your shame by hurting other people in the process. Well, thank you for going there with me uh, a little bit. I know there's a lot more to unpack and explore there because um, it's it's unresolved, but yet we cannot run from it. Yeah, uh, we cannot ignore it. It's not going to go away. That's right. And so we um, we would do well to engage it in some way, some healthy way. I feel like as Christ followers, that's our our call and our obligation. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you for joining me on the Erasing Shame podcast. Uh, I'd love to hear from our viewers and listeners. We're on Spotify now, so you can add a comment by voice or by um, adding a comment on Spotify or on our website or anywhere on social media where everywhere people are, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And if you want to hear more from Regina about these hot topics, um, we'd be happy to invite her back and she has some time this summer she she is willing to make herself available because these are important topics and we're not ashamed to talk about so that we can bring freedom and healing yeah and um deal with these issues that are creating huge amounts of abuse and trauma for people yeah yeah thanks for your voice and your and your time dj so great to meet you thank you regina great talking with you God bless. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Erasing Shame podcast. Check out the show notes at erasingshame.com and subscribe to our email for updates. We would love to hear from you, so please add your comments at our website or on social. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast app, and you can also subscribe on YouTube or follow on Facebook. Please add a rating and review so we can reach more people with our message of health, hope, and compassion. This podcast is the digital outreach of Christian Asian Mental Health.